WHHH-FM Indianapolis. It's time to take a look at what's going on in and around Indy. It's Open Lines, your eye on the community on High 96.3. Hold up. And good Sunday morning to you, Indianapolis. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021. We are already in the second half of 2021-2020. Just crept out, crept by month by month. Felt like we were repeating the same month over and over and over. But 2021 is flying by. In 2021, we have hit some history marks for not some reasons we should be proud of. And that, unfortunately, uh, is the soaring crime rate that we have seen in just the first six months of 2021, where 113 lives have been lost to homicides in Indianapolis, Marion County. 113 in just the first six months of the year. We've previously talked on this show how hitting the 90s, hitting 100s was something that, if it happened, happened in November or December in previous years, you know, a couple years back. Now that's something that we're hitting in May, in June, it's got everybody upset, everybody. It's the only thing that you, you can't go a day without, unfortunately, hearing about something bad that has happened to somebody that you know or somebody that uh, you know is one person removed to you with the violence that we are seeing in Indianapolis and one of the names of uh, our city leaders is Mr. Ryan Mears he is the prosecutor here in Marion County and he is also doing what he can uh, to curb this gun violence whether it is uh, giving young folks who are often are the ones who are picking up these guns to um, resolve issues. He is also speaking out, raising awareness that there are other ways to solve issues uh, other than picking out, picking up a gun and killing somebody over whatever it may be. At the same time, he's also one of the same names that is constantly being thrown out there, particularly by Rick Snyder of the Fraternal Order of Police about uh, his tactics on not locking certain people up for certain crimes. We told you two weeks ago, uh, the prosecutor has a new plan. Instead of locking up young juveniles and starting off their adult life as a criminal, as a convicted felon behind bars, he's has a new program where he's going to basically reroute where those kids go and put them in Boys and Girls Club programs. We'll ask him about that and so much more this morning as Prosecutor Ryan Mears joins us right now as our guest on our live line here on Open Lines. Prosecutor Ryan Mears, good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I look forward to this conversation. I am looking forward to it as well. Uh, You're a busy guy. First, uh, let me uh, give my condolences to you on the recent death of a former prosecutor, uh, Terry Curry, who, of course, we if you followed any of your career was uh, played quite the role in your life and your career. And now uh, you succeeding him in that position. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. And uh, yesterday was a tough day. It was the funeral. And uh, Terry was a friend and a mentor. And I couldn't ask for a better person to learn from. And and I feel just incredibly fortunate that I got to work with him so closely and kind of see how he handled his business. 
but also see how he always kept an open mind as, as we were kind of facing new challenges in the criminal justice system. Uh, and, and so I know I wouldn't have this position without Terry, and uh, I'm just incredibly grateful for everything that he did for our community. You know, you just mentioned um, the the challenges and the ever-changing challenges that you are facing um, in the criminal justice community here in Indianapolis. What is the biggest thing you're facing right now? I think the biggest thing for us is when you look at the non-fatal shootings that occur in Indianapolis, and, and that means people who have been uh, shot by another person. I think we're at 340 of those have already occurred here in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, probably 65 to 70% of those cases, the person who gets shot does not cooperate with the police and will not tell the police what happened. And so of those 350 shootings, the police only have known suspects uh, and, and less than a third of those. And, and so you, as a consequence, you have a lot of people who are involved in gun violence who are not being held accountable, but also you have this retaliatory cycle where uh, someone gets shot and they just think to themselves, hey, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands uh, the next time I see this person because I know uh, that person's willing to, to pull out a gun and, and shoot me. And so uh, that lack of trust between law enforcement and the community is just devastating. And until we turn around that number, we're just going to continue to see these cycle of violence. Uh, there's not a homicide and there's not a non-fatal shooting that has taken place in Marion County where someone doesn't know what happened. Uh, but how do we get individuals to come forward with that information and how do we establish that trust where people are going to be willing to talk about what happened. Uh, and that's really something that law enforcement needs to figure out, the criminal justice system as a whole. Uh, and we at the prosecutor's office understand that we have a role in that as well. And so that's why it's so important that we continue to build bridges uh, in the community and hopefully have productive conversations with people in the community. Is technology helping with that at all? Everywhere you go, there's a camera. Everybody seems to have a ring doorbell or some sort of doorbell. They're becoming more and more popular. The city has launched these different programs to connect uh, cameras downtown with local businesses and then also be able to use the resources if they need of uh, local residential uh, cameras. It seems like anywhere you go, you're on camera. Is any of that helping? No. You know, I mean, cam cameras are helpful in terms of capturing what took place, but you still need someone to come in and identify someone. Hmm. And you still have to have someone come in and say, that person I saw on the video is Ryan Mears. That was the person with the gun. And we're just not getting that at the rate that we need. I, I will tell you the one area where we have made significant improvements in which we're in a better position to prosecute these cases is uh, our ability, and by our, I mean, both IMPD and the Marion County Prosecutor's Office, our ability to look at people's social media profiles. Hmm. Uh, a lot of these disputes and disagreements originate online. Uh, they are oftentimes memorialized online, uh, whether it's Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, a lot of times you can kind of figure out what's going on. And so we've actually been able to build cases through social media and so from that part of it, it has been helpful because you basically have people admitting to participating in gun violence and then also giving you the motive as to why it occurred. Uh, and so that is one area where it has made a difference. But uh, you have the best video in the world. But if no one's going to tell us who who the players are, and who are the people involved, uh, it still makes it really difficult. And, and so there's a lot of incidents that we have captured on video, but we just don't know who the person is who pulled the trigger. 
because we need someone to come forward and say, hey, that's 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 Ryan Mears. Interesting. So you're in a unique position right now. You and a lot of prosecutors across the country. Uh, what we've seen over the past year with social justice and people wanting uh, reforms to policing. But at the same time, we're also seeing a rise in uh, in violence and criminal activity. What I guess what you, you of course, you're still early in your of official uh, timeline as our prosecutor. But where does prosecutor Ryan Mears want his legacy to be when it comes to standing in the middle of these two issues that go together but are also juxtaposing each other but both have to be dealt with Uh, absolutely and i think the biggest thing for the prosecutor's office is we have to be independent and we have to treat everybody fairly and you know if it's a police officer accused of a bad act we have to treat that individual fairly Uh, if it's a person in the community who's accused of a bad act we have to treat that that individual fairly and, you know, I, I think you brought up a really good point in terms of outlining kind of that tension that exists right now in our community between the community and law enforcement, because they do want to see reforms. Uh, and yet we do need uh, the police to help hopefully not just police us, but protect us and, and help keep our community safe. Uh, but part of that has to be a recognition from law enforcement that their behavior and some of the things that they have done historically and even recently it's contributing to that tension and they have to be willing to recognize that at some point in time, there are changes that need to be made if we're going to improve and repair that relationship. Do you think right now that law enforcement officers are, are having conversations around their tables and, and can see, all right, there has, there have been things on our end that uh, have contributed to where we are today. Yeah, it, 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 and I think that's important, and, and I'm hopeful that those conversations are are, are taking place. And, you know, I, I, the one thing about this is not, nobody can get defensive in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's things the prosecutor's office historically hasn't done great that we need to do, to do a better job on, uh, and we're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope we recognize that we need everybody to be helpful uh, and not come to the table with, with this defensive attitude and, and have to be willing to recognize that not everybody's always gotten it right. Not everybody's always taken the right approach. And sometimes the, the approaches have been counterproductive, uh, but there has to be a willingness to listen to the community to understand where those, the, those, those kind of damages and where those wrongful acts have really hurt people and hurt the community as a whole. So, you know, there's this juxtaposition position, and I just recently saw a story. It was on ABC World News a week or two ago, two weeks ago. Um, and, and they were talking with the different prosecutors and police chiefs from across the country. It was from New York City to Chicago to you pick a Midwest city to uh, San Francisco, uh, California, how the, the crime is going up. And prosecutors like yourselves are coming up with different ways to combat the crime. And so you're starting to see these different splits and uh, clear splits in ideology where you have some prosecutors um, who are who've come up with programs Uh, like yourself, to say, hey, we're not going to lock up uh, juveniles and then start off their 18-year-plus adult career uh, behind bars. And then you have other prosecutors or police chiefs from across the country who are saying, hey, these prosecutors are not locking up the bad guys. They keep sending them back out the front door. We lock them up in the morning. Prosecutor sends them back out by 5 o'clock the next day. We have an issue here. 
that same thing is happening is being said in multiple cities, but specifically that very um, scenario is said to be happening right here in Indianapolis. Rick Snyder says that very thing that his uh, his fellow officers can lock somebody up today and they're going to be out Monday afternoon to go commit the same crime. They're going to end up investigating on Tuesday. And right now, at least Rick Snyder and FOP consistently lately more and more is saying the prosecutor's office, the prosecutor's office. What do you say to make that make sense to people? Is there truth in that or is that off base? Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing for me is when I look at this community, number one, I try to be responsive to people in Marion County who mm-hmm. are who are people who uh, are, are a part of Marion County. And, and I think that's that's the biggest part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think number two, when, when you look at that is uh, we have to be able to distinguish between people we're afraid of and people we're mad at. Uh, when we're talking about lower level offenses and individuals who, who quote unquote, get uh, released one day, you know, locked up on one day and then released the next, we're talking about people who are committing low level offenses. Uh, and so, you know, if, if someone wants to build a jail with 30,000 beds, go for it. Uh, but that's currently not our capacity and that's currently not our situation. And we're on pace to file around 30,000 cases this year. Uh, and, and so if that's the solution the community wants, uh, that's fine. As, as someone who's been in the criminal justice system my in, entire career as a prosecutor, I can tell you this idea of just locking everybody up does not solve the problem and does not address the challenges that we face. And this idea that we're just if we just arrest more people and we, we can incarcerate our way out of this problem uh, doesn't work. And that attitude and that mindset is why we find ourselves in the position that we're in today is because we didn't make that investment in young people. We didn't make that investment in our community. Uh, and as a consequence, we're sitting here with with a homicide rate that, that's out of control. Uh, and And so, you know, when I hear those things, when you look at who was ultimately charged with a non-fatal shooting, who was ultimately charged with murder. Those are not the individuals who are being released, uh, who are being uh, cut, you know, cut loose day in and day out. Uh, the other thing is, which I think is just a, a procedural point that I hope everybody understands is I have nothing to do with bond. Uh, when you get arrested in Marion County, your bond fate is predetermined. Uh, it's on the Internet. Anybody can look at it. And your bond is going to be based on what you are arrested for. You don't see a prosecutor. You don't see a judge. You don't see a public defender uh, is already predetermined. And and the reason the bond schedule is that way is we want all people, regardless of their race, male, female, to be treated the same way. Uh, but it doesn't go through the prosecutor's office. So when a police officer arrests someone, uh, we all know what their bond is going to be, including the police officers, uh, because there's an automatic bail schedule here in Marion County. Uh, some people like it. Some people don't like it. Uh, but to, to say that that is somehow the, the fault of the Marion County prosecutor's office, we don't even see the case at that point. Uh, and, and so I think that's an important part of this conversation. Uh, but I'm also happy to tell you that if you think just arresting everybody is what we need to do, uh, that new jail that you're constructing, you better add another wing because you're about 20,000 beds short. So we just talked uh, a second for you to respond to what someone says you're not doing. Uh, but let's talk for a second about what you are doing and whether or not that works is a conversation we can have on, on a later show. But just recently, you announced that juveniles uh, for low-level offenses would be, instead of sent to the juvenile center or to, if you know, to actual jail, 
are going to be sent to the Boys and Girls Club. Tell us how that's a tell us about that tactic and how that's way different from, you know, just locking people up and how, as you said, that's not gonna solve your issue. It, well, it, all, it all started really organically. So I was out at the Boys and Girls Club at, at 38th and Post, and I was talking to Eric Davenport, uh, who works at the Boys and Girls Club out there, and we were talking about what can we do to help kids in this area. And uh, when we were there, there was a bunch of kids there, and Eric said, the kids that are in here are not the kids that are out there committing crimes. Uh, and so I just kind of looked around. I was like, you know what? He's right. Uh, when we give kids an opportunity and we give kids hope, they don't commit violent crime and we need to do something to, you know, create a constructive environment for kids. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was how can we scale that up and how can we help? And when kids had made contact with the criminal justice system, when they have that initial contact, uh, their success rate moving forward is very, very low, meaning we are likely to see them in the juvenile justice system again, and Mm -hmm. we are more likely to see them in the adult uh, criminal justice system. So our baseline wasn't working real well. And so I thought to myself, you know, let's try something new. And if a kid gets arrested on a low-level offense, instead of having them go through the judicial process, having their parents take off from work uh, to get them to court and have multiple court hearings, let's do something different. And let's say, I'm not going to prosecute this case if you take advantage of the resources at the Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, I, the, one of the things that I think is just so interesting is that when you walk around the city and you talk to parents, they all talk about what can we do to keep our kids active and engaged. Uh, I have a six-year-old who, who loves to play soccer and basketball, and I was at uh, his game, and I was looking at all the kids and all the different age groups who were out there playing. And every parent there was happy because they knew their kid was involved in, in an activity. Uh, but I can also tell you that that gets expensive real quick. And that's a barrier for some parents mm-hmm. and for some kids. And if me paying $25 a month reduces and eliminates the, that barrier so kids have access to a computer lab because they don't have reliable Internet at home or they don't have a computer, and me paying $25 a month give kids a constructive place to go, then I'd much rather make that investment than prosecuting kids because I've seen that when I prosecute these kids, we see them over and over again, which tells me something has to change. And this is why we decided to make that decision. Some people would say, well, if you don't prosecute these kids at, at 16 and 17 because they, you know, they stole something from a, a department store, you're not teaching them a lesson. What would you say to that? Because I asked that question because I know firsthand not me, but I literally know teenagers who have done stupid things like uh, uh, stealing a bracelet from uh, TJ Maxx or something, and then they get put on probation. They're 16, 17 years old, and that impacts what they do at school, their school sports, uh, them literally graduating and even getting into college. So already just because, now let's say if that person learned their lesson, they still have all of these things that are now impacting a very, very crucial time in their life with literally getting into college and what it is they're going to do next. And now they're put in, I guess, behind the eight ball when it comes to becoming an adult because they're being they're already being set back. Yes, partially by their actions. But I guess it's a question is are is the punishment for those stupid things, those low level offenses that 16, 17 knocking on 18 year olds are committing Uh, is going to jail or going to juvenile, going to probation, are those punishments outweighing the crimes? I don't think there's any question. If you look at the collateral consequences on a lot of these things, we're taking people who are 
not bad people who don't have that nexus to violent crime, but make a poor choice, which all young people do. Uh, when they make that poor choice, then uh, these collateral consequences catch up to them so quickly. And, and so, you know, a person gets arrested, they, you know, they, they spend time at, at the facility, uh, then their parents have to take off from work to go mm-hmm. pick them up, and the parent has to take off from work to take them to, to court. And then they go to multiple court dates, and then from there, if they're placed on probation, they have multiple probation appointments. And a lot of the people that we deal with in our criminal justice system uh, are individuals who are hourly employees, who don't have a lot of extra income, and if they take off from work, they don't get paid. And you, you know, exacerbate that tension in the household because now there's a financial issue. And then because you have that prior conviction, that impacts your ability to get a job as a kid. That impacts your ability in terms of where am I going to go to school? Uh, unfortunately, when you're on probation, you can't participate in a lot of extracurricular activities at your school, depending on what the school policy is. So we're taking kids out of all the pos- these areas where they can have positive reinforcement and have positive opportunities. And then we're also limiting their future potential uh, because now they have an asterisk next to their name when they apply to go to college. And they have an asterisk next to their name when they try to apply for housing. Uh, all of these things that, that impact young people as they try to move forward with their life. And it's just something that, you know, when you see all these collateral consequences, is it worth it? The average theft case in Marion County is $56, 56 U.S. dollars. Mm. And I want you, everybody, to think about how much money we spend prosecuting someone, arresting someone for that $56, in particular as it relates to young people. And so when we're talking about a small uh, financial loss, is there something that we can do that, number one, is more cost-effective, but number two, more productive for that person where we don't have all those collateral consequences? I want people working. I want people going to school. I want people in college. And the best way to do that is to give people an opportunity and a chance. And there are just too many young people uh, who make that mistake. And then we kind of dig this hole for them. And then we wonder why they can't get out. 822 on a Sunday morning on July 11th. This is the Open Line Show. I'm Cameron Riddle. We are on the air this morning with Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears. Uh, who is raising awareness about a number of issues that are happening in Marion County, including including the rising uh, homicide rate, but also raising awareness for gun violence and uh, raising the conversation about different ways that we can handle uh, situations that lead, unfortunately, to gun violence and then uh, fatal stabbings and shootings and so on and so forth. Uh, we're going to give you a chance to talk to uh, the prosecutor here this morning. I need you to call me, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. Prosecutor Mears says he's going to stick around for a little bit longer uh, to talk to some of you guys because I know that the phones are already ringing. So let's take a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll spend a couple minutes paying some bills, and then we come when we come back, we will continue this conversation, which I am really enjoying, uh, with prosecutor uh, Ryan Mears here of Marion County right here on The Open Line Show. Call me, 317-239-9696. You'll be on with Cameron and Prosecutor Mears after this break. We want to hear from you, your thoughts, your views, your voice. We are your eye on the community. It's Open Lines on High 96.3. Keeping you connected to what's happening in our city. It's Open Lines on High 96.3.
And we are back here on Open Lines. I'm Cameron Riddle in the 106.7 WTLC and Hot 96.3 Studios in downtown Indianapolis on Sunday, July 11th, 2021. Uh, by the way, if you didn't hear a couple uh, shows ago, I told you for the first time, Open Lines is now an award-winning radio program. Uh, the Society of Professional Journalists has awarded Open Lines the best show in Indiana covering public affairs uh, that we we, myself, and Ebony Chappelle received that award uh, late last month, uh, particularly for our coverage with coronavirus in Indiana's jails and prisons. That particular show is one that Ebony worked hard on, uh, getting those interviews with the family, as well as uh, the Marion County Sheriff. Uh, that was just a big part in all of the coverage that we had last year in 2020 and into this year surrounding coronavirus. So with that, uh, we say congratulations uh, to all of our staff here who work on the Open Line show and to Ebony Chappelle for her hard work with that. Uh, and we thank you, our listeners, for making this show uh, possible and keeping it on the air and now uh, making it an award-winning radio show according to the Society of Professional Journalists. Uh, this morning, we are on the air with Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears. And we've had a great conversation the past uh, first half hour of the show about the different issues surrounding crime here in Marion County, the ways to combat it, and the ways not to. Now I'm going to give him a chance to talk to you. Uh, Prosecutor Mears is back here on our live line. Prosecutor, before I go to the phones, um, I wanted to just ask you, uh, just explain, you, you had been working throughout the previous month on uh, Gun Violence Awareness Month, and of course, while the month ends, the initiative does not. What does that look like for the prosecutor's office? Well, first of all, congratulations on, on the award. We go into uh, the, Thank you. the beat from Lalo into uh, Living It Up, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good this Sunday morning getting everybody uh, uh, hyped up. Uh, I, I think for us, it's, it's it, it is something that's a, that's a twelve month uh, a year focus. But we did want just want to do more intentional outreach, and really try to figure out better ways that we can reach young people directly. Uh, and I think one of the challenges that everybody is facing is young people consume news and information way different than they did even five years ago. Uh, and so, utilizing this radio station, social media platforms to bring that message to young people about, you know, number one, try to avoid conflict uh, without resorting to using guns. Uh, and then also, too, you know, we need to have a real conversation about accessibility and how accessible firearms are, uh, in particular for young people. And I just get so tired of seeing so many 16- and 17-year-old kids with guns. And, and what is it that's broken with our system that makes it so easy for kids to get their hands on firearms? Uh, and so there needs to be a direct conversation with with our young people uh, who are involved in these sorts of situations and circumstances so we can learn from them in terms of what messaging is effective. Uh, but then how do you convey that message to them? And and so, you know, some of the traditional paths I, I just don't think are going to work just because the, the world is evolving and in particular our, our youth uh, consume media in, in way different ways. And, and so uh, I think it's an important conversation to have. Uh, but I think it has to be driven by the young people in our community, and we want to try to create platforms and opportunities for us to have that really meaningful interaction. We started a, a youth violence prevention council where it's comprised of area 
15 and 16 year old kids to talk to us about these are the issues that we're facing. This is what we, you know, this type of message would resonate. This is what these conversations need to look like. Uh, and then on the other side, on the enforcement side, for, for our perspective, okay, what can we do that will help get kids to respond to this? Uh, so if they do get caught with a firearm, what, what, are, what are the things that we can do uh, to make sure that we hold them accountable, but also try to set them up for success? Uh, and, and the young people really try to drive that conversation, and I think that's important. We are on the air with Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears. And uh, now I will give uh, the floor to you, our listening audience, who has been uh, calling the phone uh, for quite a while now, wanting to get on the air. So let's talk with the prosecutor. Try to keep your comments for me to two minutes because I know a lot of people want to speak uh, on the air this morning. So uh, give us your two minutes or so and let the prosecutor respond. We'll try to get as many folks in as we can up until we go off the air at 9 o'clock. So let's start on the phone lines with caller on line two. Good morning. You're live on Open Lines. Who's this? It's uh, Larry Vaughn, please, uh, Mr. Prosecutor and Cameron. You know, uh, one thing you could do, Mr. Prosecutor, is to prosecute Alicia Johnson, the superintendent of IPS. I was uh, ran for office for school board a couple of times, and I did find out that you could prosecute her for being involved in normal schools and any participation whatsoever and uh, charge her for the prosecution and fine her and remove her from office. Because, you know, when you talked about sending uh, the kids that get caught up in the, in the criminal acts to uh, Boys and Girls Club, they are trafficking. And, Mr. Mills, you can see over our city where the proliferation of all these so-called charter and innovation schools have popped up. They are the ones that are directing our children, mostly black and poor, to your office to be prosecuted. And uh, games like the Boys and Girls Club are just triage for them. So I just wish you would look into prosecuting Alicia Johnson for her crimes. And uh, you can do it. I have the statute right here. But, uh, you know, we have our children have been exploited and human trafficked here in this town by these charter schools that are being backed by the mind trust. Most of the uh, actors are black, and they are benefiting off these schools. Look at uh, uh, Carmel. Look at uh, Whiteland or Franklin. Look at those big palaces they have out there for their kids to start a school. Who in their right mind wants to start a school where you have to go and beg for 68% of your funding to uh, a heartless corporation? So it's just a crime that's being perpetrated, and uh, somebody asked why the uh, council won't do anything about it. The council, all the principals on that council are black, and they can't uh, right, recognize Larry, that's your time. black on black crime and murder. All right, Thanks, Larry. Mr. Prosecutor. All, all right. All right. Uh, uh, Prosecutor Mears, have you ever talked to Larry? I have not. All right. Yeah, that's Larry Vaughn. Um, and on that particular one, I'm not following anything he says. He's called in a number of times uh, asking to prosecute Alicia, Alicia Johnson. So um, I'll, I'll let you respond to that if you please, but uh, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't think there's much I can necessarily add to that, but uh, you know, I, I'd always uh, appreciate the, the engagement with the community. Larry Vaughn, thank you. We'll talk to Larry next week. Let's go to the caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? You're live on Open Line. <laughs> I'm good. Good morning. Speak up for me. I'll try to keep it. Yeah, I'll try to make sure I'll put some food and put some things down. Uh, Mr. Prosecutor, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Well, people, first of all, understand we elected him to do and task him with the job he's doing. I want to applaud you, Kim Fox, uh, and my uh, in Chicago, uh, Gary, uh, Lake County, Bernard 
Carter. I'm sure you're familiar with Bernard Carter, Bernard Carter, uh, and, and a number of other prosecutors who have understood that you cannot lock your way out of the situation. Second, I just read the 2019 uh, FBI criminal uh Crime report and overall crime is down. The lowest has been in 30 years. Let's, let's repeat that. Uh, Cameron, you can pull up being a journalist because I know everybody's talking about crime. No, overall crime, according to the FBI's crime report, is down. Overall crime. Uh, you have 26 categories in the crime report, not just murder people. So uh, we need to really understand that too, not let the media get us caught up in the thinking that all oh, is just so bad. It's not. Overall crime is down. So let's remember that uh, 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 violent crime, uh, murder may be on the other tip, but overall crime is down. Thirdly, Mr. Prosecutor, could you briefly just explain to the community the importance of due process and equal protection under the law? When I was in college, we studied two critical cases. One was North versus Alabama and Powell versus Alabama. You're probably familiar with those, but they worked their way up to the Supreme Court. That was two black gentlemen caught a train uh, leaving Alabama out of, out of Alabama back in the 40s. Young white woman jumped on with them. She accused them of raping her, which they didn't. They didn't have a uh, they didn't have a, a jury of their peers, equal protection. They didn't have uh, a due process. They 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 had proper representation. Had all white jury. Just a mess of the whole system. Could you please explain to our community the importance? Because Bill Cosby case just showed that due process was violated here. The importance of due process. And equal protection, because Rick Snyder is not a lawyer. I blasted him two or three weeks ago on the Jackson show. He and Charles Harrison are not lawyers. And for some sort of reason, they sound like they want the Constitution to just be, uh, hey, this corporate to be suspended and the Constitution thrown out. And I told them that, okay? And that's not what we should ever want as people, and we should be striving for making sure we have due process and equal protection on the law. And that's what you, Kim Fox, Bernard Carter and others are trying to provide. Thanks, Sigma Falcon. Prosecutor, uh, I'll turn that one over to you from, from MOTEP about due process. Yeah, and the, two of the most important concepts in the law, due process and the equal protection clause. And one of the things that I've consistently said, the reason that we uh, decided to, to no longer prosecute marijuana cases is because of the equal protection clause. And the Equal Protection Clause is very uh, is a very simple proposition that is really hard to enforce, unfortunately, which is everybody needs to be treated the same way under the law. Hmm. And when you look at the possession of marijuana cases, for instance, uh, we saw that uh, the vast majority of people who ended up in the criminal justice system happened to color so who's actually using marijuana. And you look at marijuana usage rates among all races. Uh, it was very clear that we should have seen a larger and higher uh, proportion of, of white people in the criminal justice system. It just wasn't happening. Uh, and that's just one example of how the law was applied unevenly or unequally to, to everybody. Uh, and, and so I think that's something that needs to be at the forefront of everybody's mind. And the other issue is due process. And when we talk about due process, you are innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and it is the state of Indiana's burden. It's, it's on us to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone committed a crime, and you are absolutely entitled to due process. And, and I think a lot of people need to understand that and remember that when we have that conversation about bond or when we have that conversation about uh, what the process needs to look like, you have to remember people are only accused. They are not convicted. And when you are accused, the presumption is that you are innocent. 
And and so because of the the, the due process clause, uh, which is a very powerful and important clause in, in the United States Constitution, uh, it impacts how the procedure works out here in Marion County and all across the country. Uh, but I think everybody hopefully would agree that those protections are absolutely necessary to protect, to, to protect from uh, police overreach, to protect from prosecutor overreach, uh, judicial overreach, all those types of things. We need to have a fair procedure uh, that applies equally to everyone. And I think uh, I, would, I would tell you, and I don't mind saying this, uh, the criminal justice system hasn't always done that well. And that's one of the things that we're trying to correct. And that's why we made the decision on the, the marijuana policy. And that's also why we have invested very heavily in our Conviction Integrity Review Unit, uh, because we understand uh, that these systematic issues have taken place that have disproportionately impacted people of color. 317-239-9696. That's the number to get on the air this morning to talk with Prosecutor Ryan Mears, who joins us this morning on our live line. We have more callers standing by. Caller on line three. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning. This is Nikki. Nikki, what's on your mind? You're on with Cameron and the Prosecutor. Hi, Cameron. Um, Prosecutor Mears, I just had a question as far as um, how it goes to first-time offenders. First and foremost, I want to commend you about your comment about um, the boys' club and giving those um, offenders um, basically kind of a second chance, and absolutely with the marijuana policy. Um, My question is, I have a 22-year-old son who was hanging with a friend um, and who went to jail for possession of marijuana and some narcotics. So my question is, how are we helping um, children who um, are not necessarily, um, you know, normalized to that lifestyle? I mean, my son is 22 years old. He has a college degree. Um, You know, now he's going through depression, fighting, you know, a marijuana case and a narcotic case that it was strictly his friend who engaged in this activity. Um, So I think going back to your point of, you know, there's not resources available uh, for taking off of work and spending money. So here it is. I am, you know, giving him money to obtain a lawyer. He can't find housing. You know, he can't get a good job because he has this, you know, on his record. So, I mean, it is kind of, you know, debilitating him from trying to better himself. Um, and he is a first-time offender. But, you know, from a mom's standpoint, I know that my child is not, you know, in the streets and doing these other things. So what, you know, are you guys doing to kind of help those children, even though he's 22, he's still a child, um, to help better themselves, um, you know, when they're hanging with the wrong crowd but want to try to get their life back on track? Yeah, and, and so we have a number of uh, diversion programs that, that are set up for individuals who uh, have those low-level nonviolent offenses. And, and, you know, I think the first part of it is we need to make sure we're filing the right cases. Uh, and, and so, you know, possession of marijuana, I think, generally speaking, is, is not a case that, that oftentimes needs to be filed. Uh, and then I think following up on that, when you are dealing with kids and it's their first contact with the criminal justice system, uh, I don't think it makes sense a lot of times, in particular, when we're talking about a low-level nonviolent offense, uh, to drag the process out, to require people to come into court multiple times. I think we as an agency need to be prepared to make a decision quickly on how we want to handle the case, but also get people diverted and out of the criminal justice system as quickly as possible. Uh, so we minimize the damage and we minimize those collateral consequences. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand or appreciate, even on a misdemeanor conviction, how it impacts people's ability uh, in terms of where they can live, in terms of where they can work. 
uh, possession of marijuana can take away your ability to get financial aid. Uh, and so there's all these collateral consequences to a conviction that just hold people back. And we've now erected barriers for people uh, who don't need those barriers. And, and those barriers don't help people improve their lives or improve their standing. Uh, and so we try to be very aggressive on, on the pretrial diversion programs. Uh, we're we're uh, working very closely with the health department right now on a new diversion program that we're going to launch that will hopefully better address people's addiction issues. So if it, it's a legitimate addiction problem, uh, we can get them into to good services and meaningful services to actually help. Uh, and, and that's really the, the track that, that we try to go on, on those types of cases. So, Prosecutor, I believe Nikki, was it Nikki? Yes. Okay, Nikki's still on the line. Prosecutor, what can Nikki and her son do uh, today or tomorrow to, to start finding out information about uh, these diversion programs? Yeah, so on, on every criminal case that we file, we put uh, in the discovery packet, there is a, a list of the different programs that we have uh, available so everybody knows. So the attorney should have it. So there's a, a program, if it's a mental health situation, if it's an addiction issue, if it's just a uh, low-level offense type of pro uh, problem, uh, all of those things are actually in that initial packet of discovery that, that we send out. So everybody's aware of what programming is, is available. And it just starts with a conversation with the attorney. Hey, this is, this is where I'm at. Uh, what, you know, what program makes the most sense given whatever uh, situation I'm in? And a lot of times it's just, hey, I made a mistake. Uh, and, and so what can we do to, to you know, move forward in a productive way? Uh, we also try to be very aggressive on expungements on first-time offenders, so we write into the plea agreements. Oftentimes, they will agree to expunge this after two years, so it is taken off someone's record. Uh, and so that's all in that initial discovery package. So have that conversation with your attorney uh, about not only the diversion but the expungement so we get it off the record. Nikki, is that helpful? Yes, thank you very much. I'm so appreciative of that information. All right, Nikki, thank you so much for calling and listening. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. You as well. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. Giving you the direct connection to one of your elected officials. Uh, Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears is on our live line this morning, and there are more calls uh, standing by. Caller on line one. Good morning. You're live on Open Lines. Who's this? Uh, this is Ernest. Ernest, you're live on the air. You're with the prosecutor. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, uh, Ryan. Uh, Mr. Prosecutor and uh, Cameron, uh, I would just like to say something about uh, I don't have a criminal record or a violent criminal history or anything of that nature, but uh, I have filed a pro se complaint challenging uh, events that appeared to happen occurred 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. Termination, my employment at Western Electric, that was back in 1978. And the disposition of the employment uh, discriminating lawsuit um, that I had filed back in 1980, and is pending on billions of dollars in damages each year that uh, my case was deprived from going to trial, and uh, the demands for relief and motions for fees and arrest warrants should be served to the defendants. Which, which is docket numbers five, six, and nine pending. Uh, for the following reasons, those motions were denied and my complaint was dismissed. Um, so, Prosecutor Ernest was called before. Um, is there, with it even being 40 years, is that even anything that anything can be done about that? 
Yeah, that, that, that's going to be a, a tougher situation, uh, and, and I don't know the exact uh, circumstances, and a lot of that sounds like it's more in the civil realm, uh, and, you know, we can't do anything without an order from a judge, uh, and, and so uh, I wish I had as much unilateral power as people thought I do, uh, and, and so most of our cases start with a judge giving us a ruling and an order, uh, and that's something that we would have to wait on. All right, what's, what, what would be your advice for someone just to, who should he have this conversation with? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, nonprofit legal service agencies out there uh, that, that I would encourage everybody to reach out to in, in terms of having those conversations, if it's a civil issue or a quasi-civil criminal issue, uh, in, in terms of trying to clear up records and things like that. Uh, I, I think it's important that you always talk to an attorney because they can hopefully guide you in the right direction. And uh, Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic and Indiana Legal Services do a great job mm-hmm. of helping people through that procedural process. Yeah, Ernest, give uh, Neighborhood Christian Legal uh, Services, uh, they're always helpful. I call them for stories all the time. Um, reach out to them and have that conversation. Is that helpful? Uh, that would be helpful. And one more thing I just wanted to add mm-hmm. is that I was trying to finish my college education and I didn't get a chance to, and the, the company was at the time was uh, paying for my tuition and so forth. But uh, they weren't given uh, at the time. They were not given uh, or granted summary judgment on the issue where they breached this collective bargaining agreement with me. And they was and, and then some of those attorneys that had that were because uh, I consider were incompetent uh, stole anywhere from twenty or thirty thousand dollars of my hard-earned money, and then they tampered with a lot of my evidence. I mean, it's it's not fair. I mean, I I am I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm a retiree from Indianapolis Public Schools, and I've been working almost forty years, and I've been paying taxes for forty years. Well, Ernest, start start with that uh, conversation with uh, one of the legal clinics, and see where you can go from there. All right. Okay, I'll do that. All right, okay. thank you so much. 317. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank absolutely. You. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. That's the number to get on the air this morning. Caller on line two. Good morning. You're live on Open Lines. Who's this? Hey, Cameron. How you doing this morning? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Oh, I am wonderful. Uh, greetings to everybody. Uh, uh, Mr. Prosecutor, you've already admitted that the uh, white folks are treated differently than the black folks. Secondly, these juveniles, instead of arresting them, take them home to their parents. You need to, y'all need to enforce the uh, uh, curfew laws. Um, but this, uh, the circumstances, you know as well as I do, that when they start these programs, and if they don't complete their programs or co- or, or cooperate uh, with the authorities or different things like that, that's no more than a threat. Uh, uh, not an option. It's more of a threat to lock somebody up and to continue this on into adulthood where the system is set up so you you, you just smoke marijuana so now you can't have a job. Uh, when the when the biggest criminals, uh, and I'm going to go with Larry on this one, I would love for you to see the prosecutor's office prosecuting the system itself that got us in this position in the first place. Secondly, uh, Mr. Prosecutor, I would like for you to explain to the people the difference between the defense attorney and a prosecutor, letting them know that they are one and the same and that both of these uh, positions are are officers of the court. So while you're in there making these deals and carrying on uh, and really not uh, really not beneficial to the uh, uh, client, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I just know that this whole system is messed up. And in order for you to help us then start cleaning up your own house. 
start there first, prosecute them first, okay, and let our black children go, let our parents uh, raise our children, uh, let our parents participate in programs that don't threaten their jobs, make these corporations pay these people, because we have been put in this position by these people. So, again, uh, you've already admitted that white people are treated differently. Getting close to time here, Paul. Let's wrap up. I'm 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 done. Cameron. Thank you, sir. All right, appreciate the call, prosecutor. I'll let you uh, respond. Well, and and I think that I I agree when when you say we need to drop these kids off at the, their their parents' house as opposed to to taking them to jail. I totally agree with that. And you know the other thing is we're trying to minimize the burden on parents moving forward if uh, there is contact with the criminal justice system. Uh, in, in terms of if you go to the boys and girls club, we're not going to file the case, and you don't have to take off from work. And the Boys and Girls Club is going to work with people to get those kids uh, in, enrolled and involved. Uh, as it relates to the, the criminal justice system as a whole, uh, I'm always going to say that it's not perfect and that there have been you know, situations in the past that, that are probably not becoming of the criminal justice system and that we need to be in, in, in a position to make changes proactively moving forward, which we've tried to do, but also looking backwards. And, you know, we started the Conviction Integrity Review Unit uh, to look into prior wrongful convictions. So if there's a conviction out there that's based on something other than the law and the facts, uh, we are going to take the, the responsibility. It's our obligation to look into that and try to right that wrong. Uh, and so those are all things that we are trying to do to, do, to try to address uh, some of the inequities that, that you just uh, mentioned. And, and I think it's important that, that we take a leadership role uh, on uh, the actual action and not just the conversation. Let me try to squeeze in one last call before we go off the air here. We're on this morning with Prosecutor Ryan Mears. Caller on line three. I'm going to give you a minute. Go for it. It's Anthony. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Anthony. You got a minute. Hit it. Uh, how do you, I'm just prosecute, how do you prosecute someone on a misdemeanor of marijuana, two misdemeanors for it? It's over a year and you ain't been in touch because of the pandemic, but now you've been had a warrant for your arrest, and you didn't know about it. I thought you weren't prosecuting misdemeanor uh, marijuana cases. Yeah, so the, the, the policy is this. Unless you are consuming marijuana in, in public, if you are driving under the influence of marijuana or it's marijuana more than 30 grams, uh, then uh, we are not prosecuting uh, those types of offenses. Anthony, does that, is, does that sound about right? Mm, I was taken to the hospital for them to take blood to find out if I was uh, had marijuana in my system. I was never. Were you driving? Yeah, I was in a car accident because the brakes went out. Okay. But I'm the one to call the cops. So the other people took off. They was Mexican people. They took off. So I, they they told me the only way I said I'm not going to jail. They said, well, if you submit to a blood test. I said, and if I don't, they said, well, you're going to jail. I said, well, dang, I don't have a choice, huh? That's a threat. So I went. And then when I got down there, they said it's up to the police down there. And she tested my blood, and the marijuana was in my system. I had none on me. I had none in my car. None was found. But I'm arrested for possession of marijuana. All right, now stop right there, prosecutor. We got about a minute left. I'm not asking you to prosecute this case or litigate this case right now, but does that is is he within the guidelines or is something being done outside? 
Yeah, so so, so in, in that particular case, the way it would be referred to our offices as, as a DUI case, meaning that the, the officers had probable cause to believe that there was some sort of, uh, you know, driving that, that didn't comply with the city ordinance. And because of that, they, they got your blood test. And if the blood test uh, came back positive for marijuana, uh, then that would put you in that uh, part of the category where we do proceed uh, on, on driving while intoxicated if the intoxication is related to, to marijuana. Uh, and, and so that's that's how that would come about. And Anthony, I hope that answers your question. But prosecutor, before we go in that case, is that just if they see marijuana in your system or if you were actively intoxicated or high at that point? Need you to be actively intoxicated or or high at that point. So we would need some uh, evidence to suggest that you were driving in a manner that was unsafe. And then that unsafe driving was was directly related to the marijuana use. All right, uh, Anthony, I understand if you might have had some in your system, but you weren't high at the time, how that exactly. could be an interesting point. So you need to have that conversation with your lawyer because I am out of time, my man. I'm, uh, all right, thank you. All right, good luck. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, Prosecutor Mears, we got 30 seconds left. Uh, I wish we could spend more time with each other. So how about we have you come back sometime? We'll have you come back uh, regularly because I think uh, this is a, a great forum, forum for folks to talk directly to you, their elected official. Well, I appreciate that opportunity. I really enjoyed the direct engagement. Thanks for having me on, and I'm happy to come on whenever you need me. All right. Uh, we will keep the uh, line of communication open. Prosecutor Ryan Mears, thanks so much for coming on the show uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of the Open Line Show. I'm Cameron Riddle. The show is online all the time. Anywhere you get your podcast, just search Open Line Show. We are back same time, same stations next Sunday, live at 8. Until then, have a great week. Music is on the way on Hot 96.3, and Al Sharpton is walking in with the hour of power right now. Bye, y'all.